Hi, and thank you for tuning in. You know, I don't know anybody doesn't have a hard time understanding what leadership is about. It has changed in the 21st century. And because it has changed, you know, there's not a lot of information out there that pulls it all together so that you have the steps you need to be the best leader that you can. Leadership is all about influence. And this podcast is about helping you understand how to influence others and to build the collaborative team that provides you the inclusive, high-performing workplace that you are looking for. Whether this is the first job you've had as a leader, whether you're an individual contributor, or you've been in leadership for 30 years, there is something for you on this particular podcast. It's called Remarkable Leadership Lessons, shared by Denise Cooper and her friends. And if you like, you can always go over to my website and pick up other gems that will help you become a remarkable leader. It's estimated that the leadership business generates somewhere between $300 and $500 billion annually for those who write, train, coach, and speak about leadership. Have you sat back and asked yourself, with all the leadership training programs that you have put through your organization, that you have attended, you know, those week-long things, those two-week-long things, that you go and you think, oh, we're going to get better leaders out of it. Have you ever thought, is the obsession with leadership just a business opportunity for leadership providers, or is there some genuine interest in transforming bad leaders into good ones? Can we actually turn mediocre leaders into good leaders, good leaders into great leaders, and figure out a way not to have bad leaders at all? Well, what if the way we're thinking about leadership is just all wrong? So today, my guest is Stephanie Crevins. She is my new best friend. Why? Because her company works with companies who are growing, innovating, scaling, and digitally transforming, but they are stuck in the messy middle of growth. And you know, I, I, I loved her because she said the messy middle of growth. And I'm, you know, if you've heard of me, I say the messy, muddy middle of growth. Because when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to see your way out and you're tired. The company she works with needs solutions to get their people and teams to tackle old problems in new ways, adopt new tech stacks, and break down silos. The development programs that she's put together focus on the intersection of four disciplines, self-leadership, team leadership, individual change readiness, and organizational change. Among other powerful programs, she and her team of people are certified in the Ideogram, multiple other tools, and certified Wiley partners offering both the DISC and Patrick Leon's Five Behaviors of a Cohesive Team. Hey, Stephanie, how you doing? Hey, hey, I'm so happy and so excited to dig into this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like over here biting my tongue, like, let's go, let's go, let's go. (laughs) Oh, man. You know, I don't even know how to start or dig in, but I I want people to know something about you like I know you. Um, So what's your favorite life lessons quote? Or, you know, if you had to define who you are, how would you do that in a few words? I think number one, and probably the philosophy that drives me on a day-to-day basis that I, I bring to everyone around me in all parts of my life is there is a solution to every problem. Similar to your background currently that I can see that I know the audience can't see, nothing is impossible. I <laughs> believe that wholeheartedly. I would say the other thing that contributes to the way that I work in the world is that there are very few definite truths. 
um, in this world. And the more that we think we have the lockdown on the truth, the more we're probably demonstrating very limited thinking or just dead wrong. And so I think that mental flexibility, that mental openness is part of people being successful in this world in a way that makes sense for them. And and that's hard on them, isn't it? And it's hard being a coach or a trainer, leader, anyone who's in this idea of we're here to help you transform into the better self that you have been meant to be, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, part of my transformation came from working at an HR consulting company more than a decade ago. One, it was taking the DISC, the DISC assessment. Mm-hmm. And for those who aren't familiar, it's a, a behavioral assessment that that measures and defines your level of dominance, influence, steadiness, and conscientiousness in your personality. And so I'm a high DNI. So I have a bias for action that outlasts even my own energy. And um, reading that report helped me understand why people thought I was an asshole. I didn't Mm -hmm. under, like, I really thought I read it and I was like, oh, this is why people think I'm a jerk. I didn't get it until Mm -hmm. I could put it into a more objective framework and understand other people's styles. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I was in my late twenties, so I had a long way to go in terms of self-awareness. And then the other one that at the time that company used as a really um, profound quote was a roomy quote that pardon me if I butcher it, but it's basically like beyond the fields of right and wrong, is another field and I'll meet you there. And, Mm. you know, I see that in the folks that I work with on a day-to-day basis, when they think there's just one right answer and one wrong answer, the limitations they place on themselves and other people and their company and the results are stifling. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Just take the oxygen out of the room, stifling. And I refuse Mm -hmm. to live and work that way. Which is why you have your own business. Uh, that's right. And I'm the oldest daughter and I'm never not the boss. <laughs> I'm not saying it's one of my best traits, but it is a trait that is well ingrained in my being. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Today, I'm so excited about this conversation of what if we got it all wrong? And the reason I started thinking about this is a couple of things. I mean, there's a couple of new books on the market. Our newer books, I should say. Um, and one of them is Blowing the Whistle on Bogus Leadership, Veteran Industry Insiders Reveal Why the Leadership Development Industry is Not Developing Leaders by Brett Thomas. So it started me to thinking because I didn't I didn't put it in place that maybe what we're doing is coming at leadership the wrong way. And I've always had this like burning thing since I started my business, you know, 15 years ago. Why does everybody think that you can become something or exercise your skills in a week? It's, I never saw it in the 20 plus five, 25 plus years that I admit to in a corporation when I was heading up these programs. And yet everybody's buying, you know, this instant soup that's going to turn you into a leader. And mm-hmm. there are just so many things. And I think it comes down to something you and I were talking about understanding the difference between technical change and adaptive change. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think there's several factors at play. The same logic that gets us to in a company, hey, if we just buy this piece of technology, all of our project management issues will be solved. If we just buy fill in the blank piece of tech, then all of these problems will go away. We apply that exact same logic to people development. You know, so that's very transactional, right? Like we buy it and we want our results. And so I think as consultants, 
consultants feel the pressure to sell and deliver in that way as well. And, you know, I have folks and I'm sure same with you, they come to me and say, Hey, we want the one day training on this. And I expect trust to be built. And I'm like, that's really cool that you have that expectation. Let me um, break it for you. Cause that's not how any of this works. And it's for professionals in the learning and development field, like we are, that is the antithesis of how adults learn. And mm-hmm. so I think we have to be willing to be brave with our clients and say, yes, you can purchase this from us. Yes, we can deliver it for you. And we must right-size your expectations about what this event will create for your company. And it will create about three weeks of awareness. Oh, you're generous. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You're generous. Yes, yes. Right? But it's okay. So if you want the first step of education and awareness, check. We can do that. If you want changed business results, here's what we also have to layer in there. It's the same as when you go to buy a new piece of technology. Yes, you buy it and you change your business processes and all of your people go through multiple training events to learn the software and the business process that the software fits into. And then 6, 12, 18 months, you can see results. And that's how learning works in adults. You know, we have to get them to the point where they are teaching others about it till we actually see business results change and long-term retention. Or at least at retention of the information. Sure. Um, yes. People who are instant meet instant gratification have a hard time with that model. Yeah. And, and to their own detriment. And that's why I feel an obligation in my business to educate them on why they're misguided. And if that's what they want, they can buy that from somebody else because we're here to change the world. And I'm not trying to make this about a pitch. I'm just saying like, if we have this conversation, here's what it's going to sound like, but we're here to change the world. We're not here to sell one-off trainings. Right. And there's lots of places that do that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, and I used to work for one that they still do that. And um, it has its place. It is not leadership development. Right. If it's a technical skill, then it works. And so talk, talk to me a little bit. Let's talk about the difference between technical skills and adaptive um, skills mm-hmm. or adaptive change, technical change versus adaptive change in general. So, because I don't know that everybody understands the difference between the change, change the types of change mm-hmm. require a different approach mm-hmm. to how you're going to make the change happen. Yes. So I draw... I draw parallels to how we think we manage productivity in organizations to also change, right? Mm -hmm. So ever since computers have entered our workforce in earnest, which was really late 70s, 80s-ish, you know, we as humans have somehow gotten the idea into our head that, oh, well, computers can run multiple synapses or multiple programs at the same time. We should be able to do that. And unless you're a robot... We don't work like that at all. And so technical change is and can be, you know, okay, we put a plan on on paper and we work the process. You know, it's, it's typical project management. You manage your resources mm-hmm. and your time and your budget and where people come in and out and the timeline that has a place and it has a much more limited place than, than we think that it does. 
And then no plan ever goes according to plan. And so that's where we have to be willing to be adaptive to what is Mm -hmm. actually happening. And that's where you see people's resistance come in. And that's where you have to learn how to influence them to get them past their resistance. And so the way I would say this, the way I would articulate this is adaptive change is the the willingness to recognize that humans can get squirrely in the change process because mm-hmm. technical change is A, B, A, then B, then C, then D. Humans change like depending on their personality, A to M, then back to C, then to B, then to E step. And that's just how some of us work. And then you throw in values misalignment. Then you throw in resistance to change or those people who love change. So they go hundred miles an hour and it looks like a hot freaking mess. And mm-hmm. the tools that we use for adaptive change are much more personal, much more eyeball to eyeball. You know, what do you need to be successful? It's coaching. It's the willingness to be flexible and the willingness to meet people where they are. When I sit back and think about this idea of adaptive change, it's almost like the business cycle. So one of the things that I thought about when I was inside an organization is, you know, just like we have um, ebbs and flows in the business. And as, as a CEO or senior team, we have to be looking for when those ebbs and flows of the business is going to come. That mm-hmm. to me is kind of forecasting the technical changes. The, the business is not going to have a straight hockey stick. It's not going to, you know, it will for a little while, but it's all going to level out. And then there's going to be a dip because there is something in the environment that is going to change. And when it changes, then you've got to go into, oh, wait a minute, we have to figure out, adapt, bring in new technologies. And when I say technologies, it could be new product design. It could be new computer systems. AI is the big deal right now. How do we embrace it? It mm-hmm. could be the financial crisis of 2008, 9, and 10. Mm-hmm. There's something in there that changes the landscape such that you have to start again and almost rethink what the business model looks like so that you can adapt it. COVID was the same way. How many mm-hmm. fast food restaurants suddenly came up with the idea of not just delivery, but improving the way they do drive-through, mm-hmm. evolution of the drive-through, et cetera. But I don't think we think about that when we think when we're talking about leadership change. Why do you think we don't talk about it like that? First and foremost, I go to the fact that most of our workplaces are not psychologically safe and it's not mm-hmm. okay to be vulnerable. We have set up management and leadership roles to be these are the folks that know everything all of the mm-hmm. time. And those are the expectations that their direct reports put on them. Those are the expectations that a lot of leaders put on themselves as well. I think we also, as part of this conversation, have to recognize that a lot of the leadership gurus out there are white masculine men that evolved during Mm -hmm. a certain time in corporate life, mostly from the 60s into the early 2000s. And that Mm -hmm. type of leadership has significant limitations, especially in today's modern workforce that is calling out for a more feminine leadership style. You know, for a long time, leadership, and especially for women, if you were to be a successful leader, the woman would man up. And Mm -hmm. we are just now seeing in our society, the perspective of other leadership styles, even from other cultures, you know, a more 
African collaborative style of, of leadership is now working its way into our companies. And I think bringing those voices into what leadership could look like is going to expand the possibilities there. But this, the narrative around leadership has been very much, how do we look and act like Jack Welch? And I'm not picking on these gentlemen. They, they were obviously successful for the times that they lived in, you know, how does it look like Jack Welch? Um, and, and what he's espoused in his books, what he lived out as a leader is actually very atrocious behavior. Um, but mm-hmm. what he has taught in his books post-retirement is, is slightly different. You know, even Patrick Lencioni that we teach, there's, a, there's an element of masculinity that has mm-hmm. seen its time. And so we need to bring more voices into what it looks like to be a leader, and then we can expand the possibilities. But we don't, most folks don't understand that there are other possibilities beyond the white male version of you man up, you're impenetrable, you know it all, you're omniscient. And so times are now demanding that we change the definition of what leadership can be and should be. Yeah, and I think it's as we face more changes and changes are coming at us faster and faster. And I'm not just talking about, you know, what's happening in the business, but the way we think about how do we integrate our life working in a business or working for a company was never intended to be the end-all be-all, but somehow it became the end-all be-all. And I think it goes back to what you were saying, a time when men were, that's exactly what they did. They went to work, they did the work, it was the end-all be-all for them. Someone was at home. You know, when I was in corporate, I said, the one thing that would make me more productive, they say, you know, somebody would always turn the feedback, what would make you more productive? If I had a wife, yes, I had, and I, I don't mean that from a, a, a sexual point of view. I mean that from someone who was staying at my house, who cooked the meals, make sure the kids were up, you know, yes. <laughs> make sure the dog got walked, washer broke. They were there for the, you know, the dishwasher to work. They paid the bills. They, they, you know, made the doctor's appointments. They kept up with all of the stuff. Life. Yes. There. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, and then all I had to do was come home and what do I need to do? But it was all set up such that I could walk in and be relaxed and dinner was, you know, prepared or breakfast was prepared. My lunch was prepared. All of those things that make when you have a couple working together like that, it works for them. It just makes you better. I work a lot with consulting companies and during the 2010s before the pandemic, the huge struggle that they had is that they had younger Gen Xer women and older millennial women who were no longer willing to sacrifice everything that they did, like older Gen X women and younger baby boomer women to have their career and have their home. And why it particularly fails in the consulting world is so many consulting companies were built on the backs of men working 80 and 120 hours a week, same with law firms, while their their spouse at home took care of everything. So literally they were able to step into their work clothes. They always had food. Their sole focus was work and their spouse's sole focus was home. That created life for them. And I love that that worked for them. It also created immense wealth for them and their firm. So then as you built that business model out, the demands on both their female and male employees to deliver consistently 60 and 80 charge hours a week, Gen X women, especially older Gen X women, the way they sacrificed their lives to be both present mothers and present workers 
was not sustainable, but they did it because that was their option. And that was actually Mm -hmm. progress, right? And then you've got another generation of women coming in saying, I refuse. And so once I have kids, I'm out of the workplace. And now these business models and consulting aren't holding up. And they're left Mm -hmm. like these older dudes are like, well, what do you mean you don't want to do this? This is great work. And you're like, yes, it is great work. And I'm no longer willing to sacrifice myself that much for this job. And if I have a choice, I'm going to make another one. And so Mm -hmm. that has been extremely challenging for consulting agencies that, you know, Mm -hmm. trade hours for dollars. And Mm -hmm. now something about our traditional consulting practices or any industry that's trading hours for dollars is completely falling apart. And I I have a front eye view to it because of the way I work with our folks, but that business model is completely falling apart because we're now at an age and stage where it's like, less people are willing to sacrifice everything for their job. And I love my job. I love my work. I love the people that I work with, all of it. But we're now seeing that we no longer have to be the industrial cogs in the machine that the industrial revolution 1.0 created for the world. Mm -hmm. And we're opting out. It's very interesting because if you look at the evolution of how the workplace came about, the org chart that we see is the same org chart that was invented in 1910-ish, I think it was, with yep. um, Henry Ford, et cetera. And so yep. we think of it in this hierarchical way. When work really works today, particularly after um, you know the pandemic and, and we had to think of a different model, it works much more in a matrix point of view. Mm-hmm. Now, in that, it's going to cause everybody to have to change. And everyone is going to have to take on this whole idea of what leadership is. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to have a new definition of what leader is, because I think you're right. We still hold on to leader as the person who's all-knowing, all-power, and has to make all the decisions. Versus now that we can't see people, we have to depend on determining whether they're adding value by the work they deliver as well as the relationships that they create. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. have to intentionally create those relationships where before we were all in the same place, co-located. We could have a relationship because we saw each other in the hall. We saw each other going to lunch, all of those things. So they were happenstance and the environment caused us to have relationships. Now that we're in a hybrid situation, it's much more dependent on us to be intentional about building up those relationships and leadership has now got to have a new definition yes of who what leaders what it is and results and to connect that back to adaptive change adaptive change requires an organization to move much more quickly, which means decisions have to happen more quickly, which means decisions have to be diffused across the entire organization from the top of the org chart and getting those down, down, down into everyday leadership behaviors. And I don't care if your title is specialist, coordinator, administrative assistant, we need you making decisions that benefit the long-term strategy of the company, which means you have to know what the long-term strategy of the company is. And leaders who are used to that command and control need to give up control. And spend way much more time explaining. Yes, communicating. Yes, yes, communicating. Because, you know, communication, my definition of communication is, is that you and I have 
shared understanding of what the issues are, shared meaning of what the impact of that is, mm-hmm. and shared expectations on what the results are going to be. Yes. And until you have those three things, you really haven't communicated. Amen. And so everything Amen. else around leadership is confirming that we have those three things in place. Yes. Yes. <laughs> leadership actually is. Yes. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> so from, the, from that point of view, we have to adapt the organization to say, is it, how do we have people who are technical excellent? You know, they may be the, the, the smartest person who knows how to do X, but doesn't want to take on the responsibility of managing other people as valuable as a person who makes a decision that they want to lead other people or be responsible for the work of other individuals. How does that new model come to be in organizations? And that is the essence of what I think adaptive change really is about. Because it's no longer this technical change of do as I say, this is it, it's a straight line, maybe a little curvy here and there. But for the most part, we see the end, we have a reasonable way of doing it where in times where there's high change like it is now, and we need flatter organizations that have higher productivity, we need individuals who can be more comfortable with not knowing the end result, but being directionally right more often than not. You know, as you're describing that, what I'm realizing is that I think we have to acknowledge that the org chart is not the thing that's going to get us there into the future because it's just too linear. It's just too linear for how work needs to get done nowadays. And I'm going to speak a little bit from the hip here and say, the only thing that I've seen that I think is probably a model for the way forward of how we think about relationships and work at work to deliver shared results is what's called holacracy model. And I've done just a tiny, tiny bit of research on it. So I'd be happy if we have show notes to put some links so people can explore it on their own. It's a pretty radical idea. And I got it from some research that came out of Zappos. And, you know, I think we need to take the Zappos culture with a grain of salt based on what we know about what was happening with leadership there. But so Holacracy basically says that instead of thinking about hierarchical relationships, we think about relationships and by way of almost buckets or circles of work. So you put job titles into circles of work, you define the titles relationships, and then you define the relationship between the buckets of work, like between marketing and sales. And you even break down marketing into social media, SEO, you know, who gets to set the vision, who gets to contribute to the vision. And so instead of the relationships only being linear, they are more like. Yes. Yeah. And it's definitely not about hierarchy. It's about how the work gets done in between different roles. And sometimes mm-hmm. people have different roles depending on what the work is to be delivered, which I think is the really smart part, you know, because being a leader is not one title. You know, if you're the vice president of sales, sometimes you're the coach, sometimes you're the vision setter, sometimes you are a producer. You know, each day you're stepping into slightly different roles. And I think that Mm -hmm. is a much more a realistic way to define what that role is. And it's more manageable for the person who is the leader because then you Mm -hmm. can step intentionally into those different, um, different roles that you play in any one given day. 
And you also understand how the interconnection of all of those are. Exactly. Exactly. As a producer is much the same as an influencer as a leader. A person who is actually acting as a consultant for um, a client is now acting as a consultant on how work gets done inside the organization. Yes. So those kinds of skills now become much more important than in many ways the technical expertise of I know all the ins and outs of a product, which is Mm -hmm. in essence technical learning versus adaptive learning. And if you connect it to productivity, because we're humans, not robots, when a human can intentionally bucket their roles to manage their energy. And so they know like on Tuesdays, I step into a producer role and that's the posture that I show up in. And of course, you're always bringing, you know, your authentic self that's baseline, right? But you adapt your word choice, your decision-making tools to the role that you're in. You can be much more productive. You can be much less tired. You can not suffer from decision fatigue as much when you're able to bucket those different roles in your life. As you are looking at the landscape of the work that you do and the work that others who are kind of in this nuanced role of rethinking the way we help adults learn to be good leaders, what do you see what's next? What I'd love to see is next, and what I'm starting to see with some of my clients is the recognition that we're human beings. I think if we can give each other grace and create organizational focus with all of the noise and coming at us, I think we will become even more wildly successful. And I see a lot of grace with the folks that are attracted to our work, and I love that. But it's this notion that from an organizational productivity perspective, we must create focus in order to be successful. And I think the the pandemic taught us, particularly with my IT friends, particularly during March 2020, where we had to get everybody home and we had to get them home now, there was no other choice than to band together and make it happen. Mm -hmm. For folks that are willing to admit that, man, during that time, we felt good about ourselves. Like, yes, we were frustrated. Yes, things went wrong. But to like come together and feel that glue and interconnectedness, my premise is we can have that every damn day, y'all. Like we can have that every day. And it's because we create focus together that allows that to happen and recognizing common humanity. But to me, I think the companies that will be successful in the future will have much more focused visions, missions, values, strategic plans, operational plans, and quarterly, monthly, weekly, daily priorities. And the touch of how the differences in the people that we have on our staff, whether they're consultants and or vendors, but also our employees, how are their differences the way they see the way the world is, the experiences they bring or don't bring? Yes help us create or stay on focus and learn together how to adapt to what's happening in the environment. I think that's the, I I beautifully said, that would be the only difference I'd say. Yes. I agree completely. Um, Different is different. Different is not bad. That that's bottom line. And the studies already show that the more diverse your leadership team is, the more successful Mm -hmm. your business is like that is a, statement of fact that every company must embrace. I think that's a non-negotiable. 
for another podcast, and we may need to have a continuation <laughs> on this one. Um, I think a question that we have to understand, or I have to delve into is, with all the evidence that truly has been coming up, not just in the last one or two or three years, but we've been seeing this evidence of the more diverse the leadership is, the more profitable a business is mm-hmm. for at least 15 years that we've been tracking with. What does it take for us to make that a pinnacle of success in an organization? You know, every organization, every performance has a curve, a bell curve, and somebody's making a decision that 50% of that bell curve could be mediocre or worse. Yep. <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. Yep. Because mediocre is safe. That's exactly right. And we've made it too safe. Yes. Now, if you're listening to this, here's a question for you. As you look to the left, look to the right, and look up and down in your organization, have you put in systems in place that allow mediocrity to reside and to be safe? And if that's what you want, because you can be really, really successful at that, then why are you investing in leadership training? Because safe mm-hmm. is a good place to be. I want to add a second thoughtful question to that. And my challenge to our listeners today is if you look around your team, really your teams that you interact with in your company, and they think similarly to you, they look similarly to you, they went to college like you did, they, you know, fill in the blank. Ask yourself, how can you make yourself uncomfortable today? Practice being uncomfortable and notice what you learn. And with that, you know that the podcast comes out every Thursday. I hope to hear that you were on it. Uh, don't forget to like and share and all that other good stuff and so that you don't miss an episode. And with that, uh, send us a note. Uh, you'll have the information for Steph- to get a hold of Stephanie um, in the show notes. And we are a wrap. See ya. Well, as I said before, this is a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for following me. And if you really, really want to make things better and help me get the word out, please go like this wherever you're listening to your podcast. Follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. All of that's in the show notes. And for doing that, go to my website and click on the uh, network and you'll be able to get some free gifts that will help you figure out how to be the best leader that you can be. As I always say, if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, share it, because I guarantee it will definitely help you become the most remarkable leader you can be.